Begin Podfix Network transmission. In three, two, one. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, a show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. A show that's always interesting, usually funny, and mostly true. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide, and your best friend. And recently, I am Mr. Mount Washington Valley. That's right. Yeah. Really funny thing happened. I didn't didn't make a show last week because last week I was too busy winning a beauty contest. I won the Mount Washington Valley Mr. Contest. So for the next two years, I get to wear a crown and a sash and be Mr. Mount Washington Valley. I raised money for White Mountains Pride and uh, all the or- all the people who raised money for different organizations. We raised $30,000 for a, a silly little um, locals pageant here in the Mount Washington Valley of New Hampshire. So a lot of fun there. I'm happy to be back. We've got a big fat show for you today. And I'm glad you are listening. If you're not already subscribed to the podcast, or guess now on on um, uh, on Apple Podcasts, it's calling um, follow. Now they're getting rid of the word subscribe. If you're not already following the Fishers, it's a good idea to do it because my schedule's been a little inconsistent lately. And if you follow us or subscribe, you'll make sure when the new show comes out, you get it right away. So make sure you do that. Uh, tonight on the show, here's the show. We have a very crappy, hippie, heavy duty show tonight because he's giving us two segments which is way more crappy hippie than you should ever have in one day. But I'm going to give you that crappy hippie sandwich anyway. So crappy hippies here with listener Kevin Jones. Kevin Jones reached out to John King, the crappy hippie, with some news. And John invited him on the show. So we'll do that. Uh, Then my daughter Zoe is with me tonight. And we are going to look at this theory I just learned about this week that Finland doesn't exist. Yeah. It's a thing. We're going to find out all about that. And then the crappie hippie is back with the pond lady, Amy Robeson, uh, to talk about how to prepare your winter ponds for springtime. So we are heavy duty tonight into the show. Let's jump right in with the fish in the news and the crappie hippie. Hey, Fish Nerd Nation, this is Crappie Hippie, your tree-hugging redneck from eastern Kansas, and I had a listener reach out to me, Kevin Jones. He's got a couple of great news stories he wants to share with everybody. I said, hey, me just read them on my own. Why don't you come on the show and, and help me read them? We'll talk about it. So, hey, everybody, give a round of applause. Welcome, Kevin Jones, to Fish in the News. How you doing, buddy? Good. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for submitting the stories. I thought they were great. They're they're thematically connected, and uh, let's just get right into it. Uh, you got one uh, that I actually heard about uh, when I listened to our friend of the pod, Angie Scott from the Woman Angler and Adventurer podcast. She was on Captain Debbie Hansen's Real Talk Radio um, out of Fort Myers, Florida, and they were talking about this big old South American fish called an arapaima, arapaima, arap. Say it for me, Kevin. Say it for me. Arapaima. 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 Yeah, this fisher kid, this little kid, he he found a, a big old arapaima in the uh, Chahusalusa, Magusa. <laughs> anyway, Kevin's going to tell us all about the big arapaima that turned up in Florida. Let's hear about it. All right. Yeah. So this is uh, this is from my neck of the woods where I used to live. 
Uh, so the article is from the Fort Myers News Press, and it's called Gigantic Freshwater Fish from Amazon Found in Caloosahatchee River. So basically a kid in Cape Coral found a huge dead fish that he didn't recognize lying on the side of uh, either the river or a canal. And they got some guys from the state fish and wildlife agency to identify it. And it turned out to be this huge Amazon predatory fish called an arapaima. And uh, arapaima is actually the genus name. So it could be any of several species, but it's, as far as I know, the first time one of these has been found in Florida, which already has a ton of invasive species from the Amazon. So it's potentially concerning that, you know, there could be another one added to the list. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of different species of this fish because I, I'm hearing, you know, that some are, are uh, less common. Some are actually getting rare. Others are just doing just fine. So we don't know which one exactly it is until they do more investigation. But uh, fill the listeners in on how that fish may have gotten there. So it could have been, I mean, the the most hopeful scenario, and I think probably the most likely one, is so that it's something that someone released from an aquarium that may have lived for a while in the river and then died and washed up on, on shore, um, which is how Florida has gotten a lot of their invasive species. Like we have a lot of cichlids and aquarium fish that are now you know, living as invasives in our rivers and canals. Um, the other option is that this one is a like wild, you know, a wild fish descended from fish that were released from aquariums and that these things are already breeding in the area. But I think that's, I can't see that happening with something this big. I mean, this, this fish, I think the one they found was like five feet long. And these fish are like obligate air breathers. So like they have to breathe air to survive. So I can't imagine them being inconspicuous enough that, you know, a population of them would have gone unnoticed for a while. So hopefully this is the only one that, that we'll be finding. Well, I certainly hope so. And uh, what the, the fellow was one of uh, Captain Debbie's correspondents that brought the story to her show. And he said he figured that. They'd had a cold snap, uh, probably an older fish, and it kind of the one-two punch had kind of uh, done him in. So I'm hoping, yeah, he's the only one because aren't these rather voracious fish that kind of uh, eat whatever they can get their mouth around? Yeah, they are. They are predators, um, from what I read, and they definitely look like it. So yeah, they could definitely be competitors to, you know, our native predatory fish if they got established here. Yeah, I don't think Florida or anybody else needs another one. What I would say to people is, first of all, do not dump your aquarium contents down the toilet or in the city park pond or whatever. And if you're going to raise a long-lived fish that might get as big as your car, um, you might plan that pet ownership from start to finish. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, get a... When you go to buy it and it's four inches long, realize this thing's going to end up, could end up being 64 inches long. So have a plan, have a plan, either eat it or uh, what else could we do with it? We want to get rid of it at a certain age. To get rid of, uh, of a pet? Yeah, of a pet, um, you know, because really, whether it's a goldfish or, or, or what have you, we, you should not just be, you know, dumping these in. I understand euthanizing things uh is difficult but uh dumping them in the pond or dumping them down the toilet is just a cop-out you know uh you dump a species that's not cold tolerant 
uh, you know, you, you dump a Siamese fighting fish in the local pond, it's going to freeze to death anyway. So that's really not, you know, humane. Besides plant, you know, so what, what should you do when you no longer want this fish? Well, I, I mean, ideally, I, I guess you could find someone else to take care of it. But if you can't, and uh, then euthanizing it would be the next best option. And you could potentially find, you know, if you have someone else who's, who keeps aquariums or... You could maybe even ask your local zoo if they'd like, you know, the body to feed to their animals. Um, I did a invasive fishing tournament in Florida. So it, it was a catch and kill tournament. And uh, all of the fish that the tournament contestants didn't want to eat, they took to the Naples Zoo and fed them to the animals there. So that, it, you know, that way, at least like the, the fish remains aren't going to waste, I guess. Well, that, that is a great and, and a real creative solution. Um, I love that. I love that. And and I was just sitting there thinking, well, man, you find somebody with some cats or a bunch of chickens or, you know, there's a lot of animals that would take a fish and make it make a nice food source out of it. And they're uh, supposed to make really good fertilizer too. like oh, absolutely bury them in your garden. Heck yes. Heck yes. And I guess but Arapaima is prized as a culinary fish uh, in South America and in, in Asia as well, uh, from what I've been reading. So there's all kinds of things you can do besides foist your unwanted pet on the rest of us. I don't care whether it's a dog, a cat, fish, bird, whatever. Make sure you got a plan uh, start to finish. And I, right. I've read Arapaima are actually uh, starting to catch on as kind of a destination fishing target, too, for American anglers. I've heard so that too. I've heard they, they will tear you a new one. And the <laughs> fact that they get five feet long, but they're super aggressive. They, they hit the top water. They, they, they chase baits, you know, they're, uh, they're, yeah, I I've been, I've been picking up on this more and more as, as people, uh, seek to uh, sort of turn the tables, don't bring them here, go there and, and catch them there yeah. and, and observe them there and enjoy them there or read about it. But, uh, if you insist, you know, on having one, uh, definitely have a plan, but I, I wouldn't mind. Uh, tangling with one i know that that show river monsters turned people on to them and now a lot of guys are going down either with the fly rods or or with conventional tackle and and uh enjoying fishing for those so i don't know you you curious about that you ever thinking about tangling with one of those oh uh, that'd be yeah I'd, I'd love to i mean i'm i'm not much of a like trophy fisherman you know i'm i'm just as happy catching you know, little panfish as anything else, but, uh, yeah, it would be pretty cool to see one of those in their, their native habitat. Well, that would just be it. You know, you go to the native habitat and you meet the people and you get to go out on the river and you get to see nature in different, entirely different place. Like you've never been in your life and catch this crazy cool fish. So no shade on the Arapaima. It's not its fault. And we're hoping that, you know, it's not going to invade here and that we'll just keep it down there in South America where it belongs. And we all go down there and, uh, get our chance to, to take a look. It's funny, though, because all the stuff that keeps winding up in Florida, like a lot of it actually is really fun to fish for. Like we've got peacock bass now in some areas and Oscars and Mayan cichlids and other type of cichlids that are basically like big, hard fighting panfish. Yeah, so, I know. You sent me uh, actually you bought some lures. You caught some cichlids on, a, I think, the crappie doodler or some of the jigs you bought. Or yeah, they love that. Yeah, and it, it it looks a lot of fun to me, and and everybody's attitude down there. My my Instagram friends from Florida are all like, "Hey, they're here. Let's not freak out. You know, let's do what we can do. We got to live our lives. Let's just catch them and enjoy catching them and have fun catching them and 
and, and good most, eating too. And, and good eating. Yeah. If they're coming from, uh, some people say you got to really watch, but you know, where you take fish from, but that's true everywhere. I mean, you know, there's sections of the call river over here that you don't want to take the, the native channel cat, uh, flatheads out of, you know, you don't want to eat them. Uh, so, but if they're from a good, good water source, yeah, I've heard people are, are, are clearly, I mean, a tilapia is a type of cichlid, right? Is that right? Yeah. They're actually, uh, they're from Africa. So there's the oh. cichlid family has species that are native to the tropical Americas and to Africa. And then we have both in Florida. Yeah. Fantastic. I mean, that's just crazy. I, I, uh, my friend reggae girl just had this bright orange cichlid looking thing with a big bump on its head a lot like a, a peacock bass maybe or maybe it's a cichlid i don't know but it was everybody from down there commenting on it was was how gorgeous it was and and everybody seemed to know what it was yeah and a lot of them were like you know put it in a pan put it in a pan all right so now the next story that and the, the story you sent me to read was uh u.s government is begging you to destroy moss balls and it's by jessica lee hester uh, March 11, 2021 in Atlas Obscura. Uh, moss balls. They're, I guess, a charming little aquarium do what's it plant that's become popular for people to buy and throw into their uh, aquarium. And it, it's uh, something that uh, looks like it's going to try to trend. But right now they're trying to stop it in the bud because these moss balls are coming over here with a lot of zebra mussel larva on them. And we're already afraid that people are going to do people, you know, we've got hydrilla, we've got milfoil, we've got these aquarium plants that people have dumped in the water. And now they're a problem all over the place. And it's not so much that we're worried about the moss ball getting out of hand, but the little riders, and they show a picture here of a moss ball with a tiny little zebra mussel attached to it. So amazing that we have another input source uh, for zebra mussels. I'm from the Great Lakes area. I, I grew up in Ohio, so I've been seeing these my whole life. But they're a uh, a small species of mussel that's native to the uh, to the Black and Caspian seas, and they first showed up in the Great Lakes in the I think 80s or 90s, and they they came over in uh, ship ballast water and just have completely taken over the Great Lakes and most other bodies of water that they've gotten into in the U.S. Um, they're very aggressive and fast growing and can outcompete native mussel species. And so the U.S. and state governments are trying really hard to keep them out of any areas that they haven't invaded yet. And this uh, finding them in moss balls or these little aquarium plants is kind of a new potential vector for them to get into more areas. Yeah, it, it's very, very uh, big potential. I mean, the entire Mississippi drainage, we have them here in Kansas. Because what they tell me is, you know, they, they're 100% taker. There's even, um, you know, I was asking Amy uh, Robeson, the pond lady, and I was like, well, what's the deal? How come we can't just put red ears, you know, what they call shell, shell crackers in there? And she goes, oh, they'd eat them. But apparently uh, the eggs can pass right through their gut and still be A-OK -okay to go. So even if they eat the parents, um, that they really don't, they really, we really can't control them with a good native species uh, fish. Um, I also read in this article that they have gotten um, new regulations and things to stop the boats from dumping the bilge water in a way that is going to affect, I don't know if they have to dump it out in the ocean. They didn't get specific about what they're making them do, but they really, you know, they figured out the source, cutting off the source in terms of the big cargo ships. But now, Sneaking in through the back door, we got the pet trade, the aquarium trade, 
trying to create a little trend with the moss balls. Quote, uh, Wesley Daniel, database coordinator and fisheries biologist at the USGS, recently learned that they were on the moss balls at his local Petco in Seattle. And I was shocked, Daniel says. Other non-native species have been known to hitchhike on plants. Salamanders from the Northwest, for instance, have been ushered eastward on Christmas trees. But we never expected zebra mussels to travel through aquarium plants. It's not a pathway we ever considered, which kind of surprised me because knowing how many aquarium plants have been introduced and and down in your subtropical zones, how many aquarium fishes, uh, it's like, get with it up there in Seattle because, yeah, this is another another way and it doesn't take very many to get it going is that right right yeah their um their eggs and larvae are pretty tough and uh yeah it doesn't take much them to to establish a breeding population well it is uh it is a complicated problem now if we're going to get rid of yeah moss balls um people uh we've already done the done the hard work and talked about how to euthanize fish if i'm gonna get rid of my moss ball what what were some ideas we can we can explore there Submerge it in, in uh, boiling water for 60 seconds, uh, dunk it in diluted bleach for 10 minutes, or in vinegar for 20 minutes. And uh, any of those will kill the uh, kill any zebra mussels that might be hiding in there. And I suppose if it's warm enough and dry enough, you can probably just throw it in the driveway. <laughs> or in your compost pile. But on the other hand, you, I, maybe you ought to just... just I say that cavalierly and, and probably uh, shouldn't because... Uh, let's say it rains the next day or something. These are some tough organisms that can actually exist out of water for a couple of days. So let's right. say you just throw it in a compost and then you get a downwasher like we had yesterday and uh, you gully wash some of those down to the creek. And next thing you know, lo and behold, even though you didn't even think of it, you've already introduced them. So if you've got moss balls, get rid of them. And if you're wanting to jump on the trend and get moss balls for your aquarium, do something else. All right. <laughs> Anything else tonight, Kevin? Fishing-wise, uh, the walleye spawning runs starting here in Ohio, so we're, I'm hoping we'll have some pretty good fishing in the next few weeks. I, well, I've been watching the water temps here, too. We're, we're creeping up on 40 degrees. Uh, it starts pushing that 45, and, of course, we've got some rain, so they're, they're going to be opening some tubes and some tail races for us. So we're going to be looking at some walleye swimming up in there around here pretty soon as well. Get on out there if you're in the Midwest, either old or new. Walleye time is a coming. If you're down in the Carolinas and points south, the crappie are turning black and moving to the bank. Sand bass are starting up in Texas, but up in Minnesota, New Hampshire, apparently they're still out on the ice, wanging away at the panfish. I guess that's what we go for on the late ice season, catching the crappies and the uh, bluegills and so on and that. All righty, everybody. This has been Kevin Jones, our friend and listener and good Glasswater customer. We appreciate you coming on the show tonight, Kevin, and bringing us some good fish in the news stories. Yeah, thanks again for having me. You betcha. This has been Crappie Hippie, your tree-hugging redneck from eastern Kansas, saying tight lines and valentines. Peace out. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin Jones and Crappie Hippie for that. And the other thing that weird happened to me this week is I realized I'm an Instagram influencer. I didn't expect to be one, uh, but I got a phone call from uh, a couple of companies this week and said, hey, Clay, can we send you some free stuff and you can put them on Instagram for us? So I mentioned on your podcast and I'm like, will you give me money? And they said, no. And I said, okay, <laughs> send me free stuff anyway. So you're going to do that here. So I got sent a set of Senso Pods Plus wireless 
earbuds to put in my ear holes and I use them to listen to podcasts and they work really good. They're wireless and they can, I've never even heard of this thing, uh, but that's from Senso and there's a link in the show notes. And if you click through there and use coupon code PW720 off, which you'll see in the show notes also, you can get 20% off some wireless earbuds that you can put in your ears while you listen to the fish nerds. And I think, I thank Senso for sending those along. They're very nice. And thank you for thinking of me as an Instagram model. And now I'm going to do a audio unboxing because the other call I got was from Under Armour Fishing. Did you know Under Armour had a fishing division? Me either. So they sent me a box of stuff here. First thing I'm pulling out of the box is a salmon colored fishing long sleeve performance shirt. It looks very nice. That's worth 40 bucks. I'm doing some math on this. $40 from them. That's pretty cool. And then they sent me, hear that? That's a rain jacket made out of Gore-Tex. And that's worth like 250 bucks. I don't think I've ever owned a piece of clothing worth 250 bucks, but I think Under Armour for sending that along. The other thing I got here are Gore-Tex Under Armour uh, bibs. Oh, that goes with that. So that's part of that 250. And these are bibs for fishing in the rain. So this summer on my pontoon boat, these are going to be fabulous. Fab, oh, 260 for those. So that's actually a different price tag on those. And I haven't put them on yet, but they look really good. The uh, jacket is camouflage. So I'm afraid I'm going to put that down. I'll never see it again, you know, because camouflage. So really cool. And, and they sent me uh, a hat. So Under Armour fishing hat, which I may wear. And some Under Armour quick dry shorts. So worth $55. So pretty cool Under Armour fishing. Thank you so much for sending that box of gear over. I'll be sure to try it all on and be your Instagram influencer that you hope I can be. Uh, it's tough being as pretty as I'm. As Mount Washington Valley, Mr. Having recently won a beauty pageant, I can see why. Now I'm getting all my free stuff there. Thank you, Senso Pods Plus Earbuds and Under Armour fishing and that was not a commercial i was paid for i was given free stuff that's payola baby i'll take your payola if you want to payola me just email me at clay at fishnerds.com and i will take your stuff let's get on with the show because right now i'm so excited because we're going to learn about finland and why finland doesn't exist with zoe My goodness, we are so lucky. It is our luckiest day of the year because we're joined by our chief teenage correspondent, Zoe Groves, 14 years old, celebrating seven years as a podcaster here. Hi, Zoe. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. And for those who are not in the know, Zoe is my daughter and uh, very happy podcasting with her. We have a very important topic to discuss. I am Mr. Mount Washington Valley. Yes, he is. That's and- not- that's not why we're here. <laughs> yeah. I... No, we're here tonight to talk about something that's even more important that we learned this week. And that is, and this is big news, Finland doesn't exist. It's not a real place. Have you heard this, Zoe? Uh, well, you told me earlier today, so yes, I have. You have? But now, before today, no. Uh, now, what do you think of the... When, when I've told you Finland doesn't exist, what's the first thing you thought of? Ha. Ah, like, like, yeah, like, come on, right? Yes. Well, let's. We're gonna take apart this conspiracy theory of Finland not existing, and then 
I'm going to reach out to my friends who claim to live in Finland. Uh, and maybe I can get them on the show next week and find out if they're really in F- Finland or in some weird part of Russia or Sweden. So let's break down this conspiracy theory. This came out of Reddit and they made it onto other websites. And you can Google this if, you're not, if you don't believe me. It's a real, real thing. Okay, here we go. Here is the theory. We're going to talk a little bit. Interrupt me whenever you need to. Okay, Zoe? All right. All right. So in the Cold War, World era, Cold War era, you know what the Cold War was, Zoe? Yes, I do. What was it? Uh, it was when like nothing actually was happening, but like it was a, I don't know. Actually. Okay, with Cold War era back in like the, uh, I guess like the 1980s. <laughs> was it the 80s? I don't know. So let's, let's just pretend we know history. You know what the Cold War era was? Um, yes. Me too. Okay. So in the Cold War era, Japan and the Soviet Union supposedly shared a secret about a stretch of the Baltic Sea between the Soviet Union and Sweden. Around the mid-20th century, the two nations collectively spread the idea that there was a landmass known as Finland on the stretch of ocean to keep the good fishing between themselves. So that's why we're talking about this. Finland is known for a place of great fishing. Yes. And not being a landmass, according to the Russians and Japan. Mm. Now, do you know how far Japan is from what we know as Finland? Really, really far. It's like 8,000 miles. Like, that's too far. That's really far. And now Japan is what kind of a landmass? Island. An island. And what's all around an island? Water. And what kind of water is around Japan? Salt. What kind of water is around Japan? Ocean. Ocean. And what lives in that ocean? Fish. Fish. Yet, somehow. (laughs) <laughs> they have to go all the way to Finland to get their fish. Let's find out why. The Japanese were free to fish as much as they like without worrying about international laws so long as they gave a share to Russia. So the idea was in that body of water known as Finland, there's no rules because the only people who knew about that body of water was Russia and the Japanese. So as long as Japanese gave them a share of it, they were good to go. So that is why. Yep. And oh, that- there's more. Don't worry. So, they claim that the Trans-Siberian Railway was built to transport the catch from the Baltic Sea to Japan under the guise of Nokia hardware. Do you know what Nokia was? Uh, some guy. So, Nokia was, back in the 80s and 90s, the very first cell phones we all had that had centipede and games on it, you've never seen this one because you weren't born yet, was the most popular cell phone. Okay, so Nokia. 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 Yeah, they were indestructible. Everyone, the listeners who are over... Third, you're going to know what this is. Uh, so they pretended they were under the guise of Nokia hardware, which explains why Japan is the biggest importer of the brand's product, despite the fact that very few people in the country actually use Nokia's. Another claim is that social democrats are using Finland as an idealized model of how a liberal society should be. Even the name Finland proves the theory they claim as it comes from a fin of a fish, ignoring the fact that in Finnish, the country is called Swami. So, there you go. So, Finland, okay. named for the Finn fish. There's more, though. Don't, I'm not done yet. We're, we're going to take this part in a minute. So, about 5.5 million Finnish people themselves. So, there's 5.5 people in Finland who claim to live there, right? And there's thousands who immigrate and visit Finland every year. So, what about them, right? What do you think about those people? Are they there? Yes. Well, here's what the conspirators are saying. The conspirators have thought of an answer to this. Their claim is that the Finnish people, while believing they live in Finland, are actually residing in small towns throughout Sweden, Estonia, and Russia. They're being lied to. 
because they can't be in Finland. Because why? Because pe- some people think Finland is not Because real. Finland isn't theirs. True. Yeah. <laughs> this is where people traveling to Finland actually are flown to. However, like any conspiracy theory, there's a strong evidence against it as well. But so we should probably talk a little bit about more where this theory comes from. By the way, we're looking at a map right now that shows uh, shows Finland not there. All we see is Sweden, Norway, the Baltic Sea, and Russia. So they just took it off the map. They took it off the map. Just get an eraser. Get an eraser. So, uh, so this 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 theory's been out on Reddit for a couple of years now, and I love this theory so much. Uh, and like every other theory, they're pretty easy to debunk if you use rationalization and science, right? But but I'm going to play this game as if it was a real thing. So I want you to try and debunk this theory. So I want you to, to tell me why this theory is wrong, and I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. All right. So this theory is wrong because uh, Finland is a place. Yeah. No, that's what they want you to think. Who is they? They would be the New World Order who wants you to think that Finland is there. In this way, you don't let the secret out between Russia and the Japanese that the best fishing in the world is in Finland, the body of water as Finland, not the landmass. They want you to believe that there's people living on this imaginary continent that's not actually there. You got more? Um, who is the they? I just told you, the New World Order. It's the world government. They're hiding it from you. How did you figure out what the New World Order was? Well, you know, it doesn't matter what that is. Now, you might be asking, too, like, what about all the people who claim Finnish as a language or their culture? Well, yeah, they're correct. They're, and yeah. So this theory does not den- deny the, the existence of the Finnish language or the Finnish culture. They just are being lied to about where they are. They're actually in Sweden or Astoria. So they just don't know any better. The same reason we know the Earth is flat Yet somehow they want to think it's a sphere, a round ball. Like that's even possible. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And so what about the Finnish language? Well, you just said it was real. The language is real. And guess what it sounds like? Finnish. No, it sounds like Russian. You know, there are variations in languages. There are. And there's no accident. Like French sounds like Spanish a little bit. Yeah. Well, don't even start me on the idea that French France doesn't exist either, but that's another <laughs> thing and not fish related. So, so I can't fit it on the show. Okay. <laughs> so that's a fact. So, <laughs> so there is no such thing as Finnish. Finnish people are still alive today who were born before Finland was, was invented, they say. But the entire nation has been lied to. It does not exist. All because of the great fishing in Finland. Now, oh, I know. How would you prove it's there? Well, why would Japan be fishing in the Finland area? Well, they they because they 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 fish there because the fishing is good and there's no regulations. There's too many rules around Japan. Like they can't take a certain amount of fish out of the water. They can't kill all the sharks. But there's no rules in the body of water named Finland because Nobody knows it's existing except for the Russians and Japan. So if only Japan knows about it, mm-hmm. then why are there the same amount of regulations around Japan as there is in, and there's, there's no, none in Finland? Say that again? 
there's there's no regulations in the Finland area, you say. Right. But there is in the Japanese waters. Right. Why would that be? Because Japanese waters are known to the whole world, and the environmental liberals in the environment, people who like believe in climate change and be nice to people, animals say <laughs> say say that they can't catch and kill all the fish in the world because it would hurt the environment you know how those liberals are it's really a liberal conspiracy i i just am rolling my eyes at you you can't hear your eye roll on a podcast nope, i rolled my eyes <laughs> so finland doesn't exist we're gonna dive more into this as we move forward i am going to Reach out to my friends in Finland who are species anglers who excuse me who claim to be in Finland and are species anglers and find out from them if they really are where they claim to be. H- tell me how many people from Finland have you ever met, Zoe? Uh, zip zero, not a goose. You want to know why? Um, well, because Finland, I don't know anyone, but I know people who want to move there. Finland, what? Because I know, I know Finland, people- what? Exists. Doesn't exist. There's no such thing as Finland. Any uh, final thoughts? You're wrong. I, I, it's not me. I'm just sharing the conspiracy theory uh, of then Finland. Reddit is wrong. Yeah, what Reddit doesn't tell us, which is I think the most important question is what kind of fish. Oh, that is a good were point. They that would make some. That would have some points cleared, right? Of why Japan would choose to fish up there. Maybe they have like a really good tasting fish that Japan doesn't have, mm-hmm. or a fish that they actually have to cook. Right? Yeah, <laughs> you're making a Japanese joke. I can smell it all the way over here. All right, thank you, Zoe. Say bye. All right, bye. All right, Finland. Thanks for nothing. Thanks for not being there when I need you most. And we'll follow up and try to find some Finland people to come on the show if they're real. And now we're going to jump back into the show because John King is back with the pond lady. So we're going to talk all about getting that pond ready for summer with John King, the crappie hippie, and the pond lady. Hello, Fish Nerd Nation. This is Amy, the Pond Lady, welcoming you to Pond Talk. It's a segment where we investigate the joys and challenges of managing ponds and other small bodies of water. So whether you own a property with a pond on it, have some say as to how a community lake, pond, or stream is utilized, or simply share the dream of having a little bit of water to call your own, you're going to want to join John King, the crappie hippie, and me, freshwater ecologist Amy Robinson, the Pond Lady, for some Pond Talk tonight on Fish Nerd Podcast. Hey, crappie hippie, guess what? What? Spring is coming for us, so you know what that means. Bet I do. I know it means a lot of fishing. Well, yeah, and to get that good fishing, we got to get our ponds ready for spring. So I've got some ideas for our test pond. Wow, that's fantastic. All right, I'm all ready to get the pond ready for spring. You know me, I'm a total pond geek. Uh, Now, I've been spending a lot of my time in the winter uh, working on my habitat, We've been taking a few uh, snags down by the pond uh, out for firewood. I've been throwing in some cedar. I've been throwing in some pine. I've been throwing in some locust. Um, You know, the water's down, so I can just put on knee highs, wait out, and uh, get that stuff in that great uh, six-inch to uh, five-foot zone. Um, Is this a good time for me to be doing that? Oh, absolutely. You, 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 You got my first point right out of the gate. So 
habitat is absolutely great to do this time of year. Cedar trees or, or any of these, well, locust, my goodness, some of the more abrasive trees that are less fun to work with are always easier to handle with long sleeves. Like hatch trees, maybe? Uh, yeah. A lot. How about coveralls? Uh, if it, when it's cold enough, <laughs> old enough to wear coveralls, that's a good time to, time to be handling time. your hedge tree. That's for sure. Yeah. You want to, yes. you want to be protected, but boy, they last a long time and crappies love them. They love them. Oh, and guess what? I learned something not too long ago. So, you know, in Oklahoma, we don't get real ice, like real ice. Yeah, like them New Hampshire folks up there and our good buddy Dave in Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, them folks. No. So I heard a story about people doing habitat in these colder areas while there's ice by just dragging the trees out and letting them sit. And then when it's springtime, the ice melts and your habitat goes right where you want it to go. So that's a cool idea. You made a good point, too, about water levels being down being able to just physically drag the trees out rather than having to mess with the boat and pushing them over the edge. But, you know, that can, um, that can be a thrill a minute. Believe me. I know oh, you've done it. I've done it, but there ain't nothing like picking up 60 pounds worth of cinder blocks and throwing them over and then have an eight foot cedar tree go dragging in after them. It's, it, it gets colorful in a 12 foot John boat. It oh, it's, it's, especially if you're like me and everything you do is slightly awkward and <laughs> You almost get pulled in with the tree every time. So if you don't capsize the boat. Yeah. Okay. So getting it in now. Is if good. you got ice, use it. Okay. Now and I have a buddy up the road and he dug out his pond this summer. They're in a dry spell, a little duck pond, you know, just in his front yard. So, um, but he made it a lot bigger, a lot deeper. And now he's wanting, you know, talk about aeration. Is, is this a time to do that? When should we do that? Uh, uh, that's a good point. Okay. So, and, and there's, there's a couple of, of things that can go along with that. Uh, I'll go back to the habitat. If the pond is empty, now is a great time to put habitat in too. So you have it exactly where you want it in the pond before it fills up. In fact, it's a lot of times easier to do that then. But if a pond has been drained and it's empty, now is a great time to do your dam inspection. So you need to every year. And this is when it's really helpful to have a notebook to keep track. But once a year, at least you need to inspect your dam. So with a, a, a renovated pond, obviously there's an assumption that the dam has been checked, but you know, you want to look for any holes, seeps, leakage, things like that. Speaking of another property down the road from me, his pond, you know, our ponds are all low. It's been a dry winter, but his is, his is ridiculous low. And uh, so you're telling me he should get his, get his keister out there and, and walk that pond and hunt around and see what's going on. That he might Absolutely. be losing, losing water through a clogs, see, cracks, what have you, right? Absolutely. In fact, uh, you know, one of the best ways to find seeps or leaks well and this is unfortunate if his pond is mostly dry but when it's full if you go to the back side of the dam you can generally find those those seeps by seeing where the 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 wet spots are and also uh when your dam grows up in the summertime 
you may not necessarily see all oh, of yeah. that stuff. Way easier to see now. For aeration, we like to get that in before spring. We always like to get it in before you start having any kind of problems. But for a new pond, uh, getting a system set up so that as soon as it's full, he can flip it on, that would be absolutely ideal. Once the pond's full, it's already got the air going and it's going to be on a really good track for a good life. Well, that's, that's awesome. But even if you, I mean, it sounds like a good time to do it, uh, whether the pond has water in it or not, because you're, you're looking at a, um, a slower moving, less energized system. Um, Right. Well, and you have less risk of overloading the demand for oxygen and causing fish kills due to a dissolved oxygen crash. If you get the the air going in the wintertime when it's colder and there's less bacterial action so it, it it's just a it's just a lot safer for the fish to do at this time of year it also creates a trajectory for the spring that is so so much better in terms of control for aquatic vegetation types if you have restoration issues management issues that are dealing with an invasive or not a native that's become invasive and taken over your pond. Okay. And uh, speaking of vegetation issues, you had the cutest little Instagram post, the cutest little green plant. It was so great to see that little plant emerging in that pond. It was just adorable. You're a complete cuteness act addict, just like my wife and my daughter. And uh, I saw and that little too. guy. I know. <laughs> I saw that yesterday and my heart just exploded because I love spring so much. And I've been telling people for the last week, it's coming for us. It's coming for us. I feel it. And then yesterday at that pond, I found that tiny little marsh penny wart and he was so cute. And I said, there's some green. It's starting. So that is so dumb. I I can't believe it. It's called marsh penny wart. I mean, it, it was the cutest plant you ever saw. And now the cutest little fairy kingdom name you've ever heard. But yeah, it got me really, really touched my soul too because I am I'm so ready. Uh, to so get ready. You see some green and see some things start to grow. And of course, our vegetation is super important. So I know you have a favorite. Yes, I do. It's called longleaf pondweed, and there's I mean, it's killing me that I don't have a pond journal and haven't started a pond journal. And that is a great thing to ask people to do. Not only to document your repairs and problems, but I wish I had a record of all the different uh, shoreline weeds that we have seen come and go in domination. Um, We've had the little primrose, which I Mm -hmm. adore. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, if the carp get hungry enough, they'll turn on and and eat that. They will. Um, But uh, they don't seem to like longleaf pondweed. And I love it because it grows in and around all my brush. It lays flat on the surface. It, it, it's not very hard to fish through, um, but it, it provides that shade factor, uh, that mat, that open mat that, that fish really, especially fish around here, uh, your sunfish species really seem to thrive. And, they do. And, and your catfish as well. When you're talking about getting a diversity of habitats, uh, you know, the brush is giving the fish one thing, and then the, the longleaf pondweed moving in and around there, I mean, growing in and around there combines with that to give them a really comfortable place to be. I think you're absolutely right. And it's funny to me that you say that the carp don't like the pond weed there because they really like it here. It makes me wonder if these carp have regional variation in their 
their preferences and their diet, but that's a whole other show. Okay. Carp are fantastic. Well, I mean, grass carp, you grass know how carp. I feel, you know how I feel about common carp, but yes, you know, they, so as much as the, as much as we talk about the good vegetation, you know, there are ponds that have been stripped. Right. So, so how do we get the good vegetation back? So this is the time of year when you need to start planning for that. So if you have well, a pond that's stripped on the edge. Okay. Now stripped on the wet edge. How does that, is that like my neighbor? He likes to mow on his side of the pond. He likes to mow right down to the water's edge. Oh, my heart. Oh, no, that's terrible. No, that, that's one of the worst things that I see on a repeated basis is people have an idea that their pond should look like a golf course pond and be completely manicured, no plants all the way to the edge. And that's really detrimental to a pond. Um, you can, you can have severe bank undercutting and there's nothing to stop the nutrients from running directly into your pond. So you can have issues with algae and all kinds of things. So yeah, you, you, this is the time of year. We, you know, if you have people, especially that landscape for you modify how they do their work, or if you are in charge of your own maintenance of your lawn, then, you know, leave yourself a buffer strip. If you do not have that buffer strip, you're also not going to get as good a chance of establishing things like your pond weed. So if you're mowing everything down, those little tubers that come from the shore just don't have a, a chance to establish. So you're, you're causing a, a sort of a, a series of ill effects with that. Well, you're basically eliminating your riparian zone. You're basically yes. eliminating that transition zone that is so important to so many animals and, and s simply to the, to the natural physical way a pond works in terms of drainage and, and water moving up, you know, coming up and down and, and so on. I mean, this naturally happens to bodies of water for a reason and to fight it, uh, you know, by, yeah, the, the golf course, look, I don't know where, you know, people got that idea, but do it, do it fisher style. Cause what looks good to a fisher is a bunch of brush piles of weeds happening here and there. Uh, some, okay. some different types of grasses around the edge. I don't care if we got to get out the weed whip every now and then and knock down some cut grass here and there to make little lanes so people can come up and get right next to the shore. It's more important have the bugs and the worms and the critters and the things hanging out that are using well, things for habitat. It increases your filter filtration potential significantly. So it'll catch all the grass clippings, any fertilizers that you might have, or, you know, any chemical treatments that might be on your lawn. It'll, you have the capability of catching that before it enters your pond. So if you run into a situation where you need plants and you can't physically plant them in the ground because of your substrate, they now have these things and they're really awesome. Floating wetlands. Essentially, you take a big piece of styrofoam, poke holes through it, stick plants like cattails or lotus. Okay, I've seen something like this where you can't, you can either set set pots, you know, with the plants in them or yeah. I saw some kids, some young people doing this with, with a biologist creating these for uh, it was, I think it was either a, a city park or a golf course or somewhere where they needed to enhance uh, because of the way it was maintained to keep everybody happy that wants everything 
plastic wrapped, I guess. But anyway, <laughs> they, they were doing it in a way that satisfied everybody. So they had the the vegetation mats. Uh, so anyway, so you, you you're you're creating an island of vegetation. And yes. you, say, yeah, you put in some lotus uh, or whatever natives that you want uh, that are a little bit more structurally solid. So it'd be really hard to stick a piece of pond weed through a piece of styrofoam. But, you know, a cattail, you drill a hole and I mean, just stick a piece straight through. You want the roots to go to the other side and then those roots will start developing and they will actually pull nutrients out of the water. If you have too many nutrients, they can help filter so that's a good option for people that don't have really soft soil that they can physically plant a an aquatic plant into. So those are cool, cool little things that we can do. Uh, another thing too, this is when if you have problematic vegetation that's become invasive or taken over, now is when you need to start planning for how you're going to control that. So things like carp we talked about, you know. Grass carp. Have, We're talking about white armor grass carp. Yes. Sterile. Grass carp. The, the, <laughs> you can generally get grass carp even in the winter from vendors. So getting them in this time of year, they you can stock them even when it's cold. So getting them in before vegetation can start, but getting a plan of action for hitting vegetation early on in spring can help you get season long control. So you're not putting lots of chemicals in over and over. So now would be the time to know what vegetation type you're fighting, what treatment you want to use and get that stuff ready to go. Okay. So, you know, this is a, this is a, now is the time, you know, list folks. So this is your spring, uh, um, spring jobs uh, because what you're telling us and what I'm picking up as we're going along, you want to get this stuff done now before the, the traditional, let's say the traditional month for spring is, is March, April, May, where you're at. You don't want to be stuck in March, April, May, trying to find the, the, the things, the plants to plant and the, fish to buy in the so uh now's the time for example i would imagine to get your probiotics ordered and any right. of the chemicals you might need ordered uh right. get, get your not documentation started with your journal and uh, let's wind this up by talking about uh what we all dream of and what we all love to do uh shop around and order up fish is this <laughs> a good time to do that as well correct absolutely you know people often wait until they actually want the fish to go into the pond in the summer or spring finding a vendor that provides the fish that you want. Sometimes there is a waiting list. Sometimes it's first come first serve. Sometimes you may think your hatchery has the fish that you want and they don't even produce those. So sourcing your fish for spring stocking, whether it be, you know, your, your uh, largemouth bass, if you've got a good forage base already established or whether you're doing supplemental stocking of anything, you need to order them now or at least be aware that you may not have them available when you want them in the summer if you don't talk to your vendor now. So, All right. Well, that is excellent advice and good to know. And I'm actually going to get on the uh, computer and get on the phone or whatever it takes because I have a couple of hatcheries picked out for my fathead minnows that I'm going to put in this spring and I can hardly wait to do it. I don't really have to wait until the water gets a certain temperature, do I? Uh, well, for, for most of our natives, you do want to wait until, well, and, and the thing about our natives is that they're generally not available even until the water temperatures are good enough for them to stock because that's when the hatcheries can pull them out of the ponds safely. Ah. So, 
I'm, I'm not as worried about when you stock them because I don't think they'll be ready until it's warm enough, but yeah, yeah, you do need to wait for some fish to get the right temperatures. But for the most part, once they're available, you can put them in. And I know all of this seems like tedious stuff. It's definitely not as fun as seeing the fruits of your labor, but I guarantee that doing the things that we do to ponds in the right order at the right time will make a bigger difference than even doing the right things. If you just do the right things, great, but doing them at the right time can make a huge difference. All right, Amy. Well, thank you so much. That is an exhaustive list. And uh, <laughs> I am, um, I, I was as always, to, if as anybody, always. if anybody needs anything, they can always get in touch with you or get in touch with me and we Absolutely. can cuss and discuss. Cuss and discuss. But I, I was happy that I was able to check a couple boxes off the list. I got some more I'm going to check off, but now I know the right time to do that. So I'm so excited for our pond. So excited for spring. So excited for the ponds. Thanks for getting together with me today, Amy. This has been Crappie Hippie, your tree-hugging redneck from eastern Kansas with Amy Robison, the pond lady. We thank you for tuning in to Pond Talk this evening. Everybody have a good, good time this spring. Look forward to spring. It's a coming. It's a coming. It's a coming. Tight lines of Valentine's, everybody. Peace out. Thank you, guys. All right. Thank you so much. And you did it. You've listened to a whole podcast. You've listened to a whole bunch of fish nerds when you should have been fishing. And you really should have been fishing. Although springtime this early in the spring is really hard for me to catch fish, but maybe you can do better than me. Uh, Anyway, special big fat thank you to Kevin Jones for reaching out to us with some news. Huge thanks to Crappie Hippie for doing the heavy lifting on this week's episode. Been doing a lot of work for us lately. Wouldn't be shocked to see the crappy hippie come up with his own podcast. That's a secret. Uh, And also a big thank you to Zoe Groves for helping us understand why Finland doesn't exist. And thank you to the Pond Lady for doing all you do for ponds here. So until next time, follow the code of the fish nerd spawn early and often. Never trust a free lunch with strings attached and swim against the current every chance you get. That's the whole show. Bang. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast. Just for the halibut. Fried in a basket or broiled in a pan. Eat it raw like you're in Siam. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast.